Hi, I'm David Hagland, a senior editor at Slate, and this is something a little different. It's a Slate spoiler special podcast about another podcast, Serial from This American Life. As you probably know, Serial is a multi-part investigative series about the 1999 murder of Haymin Lee. She was a Baltimore-area high school student who went missing and was later found strangled in a city park. Her ex-boyfriend, Adnan Syed, was later convicted of the murder. Each episode of Serial comes out early on Thursday mornings. So here's the idea. Listen to each new episode of Serial, then listen to our spoiler special, which we'll post as fast as we can. Today, we're talking about episode five, called Root Talk. In it, host Sarah Koenig and the Serial staff try to replicate a timeline of events that occurred after Hay's murder. My partner in these spoiler specials joins me from our DC studio. It's staff writer Katie Waldman. Hey, Katie. Hey. And joining us this week is Slate editor Julia Turner. Hi, Julia. Hi, David. So first things first, you might be asking yourself, why are you doing a spoiler special podcast about another podcast? And why are you starting four episodes in? And the simple answer is that we have discovered in conversations around the office that so many of us are obsessed with this podcast and just want to talk to other people about what's going on and who they believe and what really happened that we thought, why not record these conversations and and try to tease these things out? So as I said, episode five was called Root Talk, but I would not have called it that. I would have called it The Timeline Has Some Problems. Uh, Katie, do you want to offer a a different alternate title? Sure. Um, I would call it The Episode in Which No One at All is Credible. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I would do that because basically what they did is they tried to recreate the route that Adnan took with Hay. He had about 21 minutes to leave school, get in her car, and um, go to the parking lot in Best Buy and commit the murder. And he told Sarah that there is no way that that could have been done in 21 minutes. And they actually found that they could do it, um, but it was just under the wire. And then they tried to bring um, Sarah and Dana, the producer, tried to bring the phone records to life and chart uh, Jay's testimony against the phone records and look at which cell towers were pinging. Um, and some of what Jay said happened lined up with the cell records and some didn't. Um, and crucially, one phone call placed Adnan's phone in Leakin Park the night that they were supposed to be burying Hay. So that did not look so good for Adnan. Yeah, Julia, what, uh, where did you end with this? I mean, I think I I'm, don't want to speak for, for you guys, but my sense coming into this is that as of yesterday, all three of us um, thought maybe Adnan didn't do it and were very suspicious of Jay. One, is that actually where you were? And, and two, where are you now? No, that is not where right. I was. So, I mean, I, we talked about this show a little bit on the Slate Culture Gap Fest a couple of weeks ago, and I'm fascinated both in the whodunit nature of the show. You know, was it Adnan? Was it Jay? Was it someone else? I think all of those questions are fascinating. Um, and then I'm also... There's like a procedural, how are they going to do it as well, that I'm loving, right? Like, 
you know, what's going to be in the next episode? How are they unspooling this? What are the ethics of that? What are just the sheer process points of that? And this episode to me, which actually Sarah Koenig admitted on the gist that they were really having trouble with episode five and they were having trouble putting it together and perhaps informed by that hearing the episode, I felt like you could hear the strain a little bit. Like, I think they basically found that it's hard to explain a timeline in an audio format. Like, just you kind of want a timeline. Like, you want to look at a timeline a little bit. And all of the references to 236 and 340 and 615 and track practice starts at 4, like, it was harder to follow than some of the other narratives they've unspooled in the earlier episodes, I thought. Um, and then also the, just the technology of the cell towers and the cell records and the geography. Again, you kind of want a map, right? So I think this logistical explanation episode strained the audio storytelling format a little bit, I found. It was harder to follow. And then there, there was some kind of this American lifey riffing about how hard it was to follow. And Sarah Canning was like, oh, the cell records are so hard. I made da suddenly Dana, Dana, I guess, is her reporting partner, becomes this character in the show. And she's like, I'm just outsourcing all this cell phone research to Dana. Dana figured it out. At this point, I'm going to sustain. And Mr. Um, York. Unless you are prepared to lay a foundation for this... Seriously, most of it is more boring than that, which is why I made Dana read it all, so I didn't have to. So what was with the shrimp comment? Yeah, that was a funny moment where the show kind of let its guard down a little, and you see, you know, these are just two people, and they're driving in the car, and suddenly it's as though, as Sarah Koenig says, Dana isn't listening. So what's this like, oh, let's just drive halfway across the county right. to go to a state park to smoke a blunt? Like, just pull up, just smoke in your car. And I don't know, it just seems like there had to be other places you yeah. could have just pulled over for a quick smoke if indeed that's what needed to happen. There's a shrimp sale at the Crab Crib. Sometimes I think Dana isn't listening to me. Anyway, we head to Patapsco State Park. I thought that moment was really funny, but it was certainly a departure in tone. And, you know, in this episode, we also learned that Dana is the one who read all of these key documents from the trial. And we don't know Dana. Who's Dana, right? Sarah is the one that we had come to trust. So I think they're still figuring out this format, which in some ways, as far as I could tell, is unprecedented. It felt like an episode that arose a little bit out of a struggle to understand what was going on here. In terms of whether I thought... Adnan or Jay were guilty. I actually, the show is so clearly set up, you know, it's it's launched by a request from a friend of Adnan to exonerate Adnan to say justice was not served here. But there's something slightly, not oleaginous, there's just something slightly fishy in Adnan's prison conversations with Sarah Koenig. And, and it's hard to say that. That's a real guy who may have been wronged by the criminal justice system, maybe have been sitting in jail for 13 years. And now I'm talking about it as though it's like a TV show. But there is something, there's something in their conversations that feels off. And Jay, even though he clearly has lied repeatedly, he seems almost like uncalculated in his lying or something. There's something about his lying coming up to this episode that seemed... Uh, I don't know. It just didn't, it, 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 I was not necessarily super sure where I thought it was going to go. And so I was less surprised when the actual timeline stuff that, and cell phone stuff that they did point out in this episode seemed to raise more doubts about Adnan. But don't you think that the fishiness uh, for Adnan is just like his desperation to be believed? Like, I just feel like the difference between Jay and Adnan is that, Adnan is so earnest and so, like, you can feel him wanting to convince 
Sarah, whereas Jay, the stakes for him are lower. Right. Well, also, there's no current Jay, right? Am I, yeah. am I right about that? But yeah. there's no, the question of where is Jay now, why do they feel so comfortable raising all these questions about Jay's veracity kind of makes me think maybe Jay has died. I mean, well, they never give us his last name. Is that right? I don't think we have his last name. Uh, you know, I think, you know, and, and again, it's a funny thing about listening to the show. Like, there's a whole Reddit thread devoted to dissecting each episode, which I've not delved too far into because one can't start going down Reddit rabbit holes when one has a whole day's worth of work to do. But did something happen to Jay that has made them feel like they can raise doubts about whether Jay murdered a person 13 years ago with impunity? Um, that's a big mystery for me. Right. Well, also, there's a pretty good chance that even if they tracked him down and he's still alive, he wouldn't talk to them, right? I mean, there's no reason for him to talk to a reporter now about what like, happened maybe then. you got away with a murder. Yeah, exactly. care, care to share? Right. I mean, I have jumped down that rabbit hole a bit. Oh, uh, what'd you find? I have found many <laughs> things. Uh, one of them is that, so if you remember in the first episode, you know, so Rabia Chowdhury is this lawyer who brought the case to Sarah Koenig, and she's blogging uh, about the, the case herself. Um, but then, and she shows up in some of the Reddit threads, but then also this other friend who you hear in episode one named Saad didn't ask me anything on that Reddit thread. And it, it's really something because you, you're suddenly reading uh, a perspective from someone who he didn't go to the same high school. So he, you know, it's a partial perspective for sure. And obviously he's entirely on Adnan's side, but he has his own questions. Uh, there are things he expects them to get to. Uh, at one point in that thread, Rabia jumps in and tells him not to spoil anything <laughs> oh, because God. she respects the work that Sarah Koenig and her producers have done and and really feels like, OK, this is this. Maybe they'll get to the truth and we we should honor all of the effort they put into that. And there are things they know that we don't know, et cetera. It's really you, there's so much further you can go. And I guess part of the reason that I was not as bothered by the limitations of the audio format of this episode, though it is hard to follow, is because at this point I am now supplementing it. You're read in with all these other other, uh, aspects. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Katie, I think your point about how to read Adnan's voice in the modern day interviews as like a primary source document about his guilt or innocence, I mean, it's it's incredibly... um, emotionally raw, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, you, who, who are we to sit in judgment of this guy, whatever a very good reporter has found and whatever portion of it she's served to like, she's decided to carve up and dish out for us in that particular week. It, it, it you know, we shouldn't be cavalier about it, but you're right. Maybe some of the, the, what we hear in his voice has to do with just the, the direness of his current situation. And I did feel in this episode, his surprise when they f- said that, in fact, there would have been time, just barely, but if everything went right, there would have been time for you, person on the other end of the phone, to like get out of school, get in your girlfriend's car, take her to this parking lot, murder her, hide her body, and call your friend. Uh, his shock and surprise at this, the improbability of this timeline, which is something he'd been clinging to, it felt like for a long time, that felt very raw and real. On the other hand, you can interpret that as um, he didn't do it, and he's always thought this was the thing that would get him off if only someone would go to the bother, and now someone went to the bother and it doesn't prove anything. Or um, that's the thing he'd always hung on to be a good alibi for him, that it was impossible. But in fact, it's, it, I couldn't quite follow again the timeline, but it seemed like maybe 
some of the f- cell records suggested perhaps he'd been playing hooky all day with Jay or something. Right. And so the window was longer, which suggests that maybe he was clinging to that window because he, you know, felt that it would exonerate him for something that he had actually done. I mean, there's just so much you can read into that voice, and it's it's an unsettling thing to do. Yeah, I mean, the thing that jumped out to me from this episode more than anything was the Nisha call, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, at one point, we learned that there was a call made, I want to say around 321 is the, you know, like you said, Julia, it is hard to keep track of them all, but I want to say it was in that uh, general time frame. And Nisha was someone who Anand knew, really, not not Jay. And according to Jay's testimony, Anand put him on the phone with her. But it, that sort of seems to fly in the face of both their stories. doesn't really fit either one. And so, I, like I said, I came into this episode um, largely sympathetic to Anand. Obviously, that's sort of where the show has put listeners to this point, I think, uh, and, and very skeptical and suspicious of Jay. But at that moment, I started to wonder if they're both lying. If right. there's this whole other, whatever really happened is n- what neither of them is is saying and has said. And, you know, maybe we'll be able to figure that out. Maybe we won't. But what about you, Katie? You haven't told us where, where you are. Where were you coming into this episode and, and where are you now in terms of what you think happened, what you suspect happened, how confident you feel about any of this? Yeah, so I definitely came into the episode wanting badly to believe that Jay did it and actually pretty much persuading myself that that was what I thought. But really, earlier I said no one was credible, and I do feel that I agree with you. They're probably, or they may both be lying. Nothing seems to really add up. And I just, I think Jay is such an attractive suspect. Uh, He's the criminal element of Woodlawn, um, and I don't respond well to uh, the recordings of his voice that they play, but I couldn't really say for sure that he is the guilty party either. Did you have any uh, especially burning questions after this one ended? Well, aside from the Nisha big question mark, um, there are just so many holes that the cops didn't bother to investigate, like the mythical vanishing phone booth. Um, They weren't sure whether there actually was a phone booth outside of Best Buy, um, and no one looked into whether it had been torn down um, or whether it ever existed at all. What about you, Julia? Well, apart from the where is Jay, like the absence of modern day Jay is becoming more and more pressing to me in every episode. But apart from that, I feel curious to hear from some of these other peers. I mean, maybe I don't know if we're going to get an interview with Nisha. It'd be interesting to get that part of the story. It just feels like I came into this episode with two possible narratives of what happened during the day. And this episode leaves you with like a scatter plot of data points through which 10 or 12 or 15 different lines could be drawn. Like, I now have even less idea what either of them was doing on the day. So it sounds like, it feels like this is the part of the serial where it's like when you're cleaning up the room. Everything's come out of the box and it's all getting messy. And then it may even get messier the next few episodes before they start pulling it back together again. Yeah, that's where I am too. In fact, the peer who I'm curious to hear from, and this is influenced partly by the reading that I've been doing <laughs> online is, is Stephanie, right? Yeah. It was it was her birthday, and she's this really key figure in terms of how they all relate to each other, uh, but but we don't know what was going on with her really, uh, and what and what she thinks of all this. It sounds like at this point we are all quite unsure. Julia maybe 
a little bit more skeptical of Adnan than Katie, but none of us really thinking we know what happened. I think that's fair. I mean, I think also, as you say, Katie J is the is the most obvious suspect. And here I'm applying the rules of like Agatha Christie to this actual true crime story. But it's like, okay, yeah, the guy you trot out in episode two, three, four, five as the obvious suspect, like that's the butler. Like that's not who did it mm-hmm. at the end or the butler did do it at the end. Whatever. That's like the, the that's the mustache twirler who shows up at the beginning of the Agatha Christie and in the end, that's not who did it at all. Like, just the prerogatives of narrative suggest that it, it can't be Jay. Right. Which I just may wonder or... how wily they are. Like, are they actually following the narrative rules of a mystery writer, or are they just presenting facts that they come to it? These guys are so fucking wily. <laughs> they are super wily. They're super wily. All right, well, that... Maybe they did it. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I I, uh, I have I have more faith in them, but I am also curious to hear what uh, our listeners think. So we are going to post this episode on Slate. Uh, we hope you listen to it. We hope also that you will weigh in. There will be a comment section there, and you know share your own thoughts. Uh, read Reddit, don't read Reddit, whatever suits you. Um, but we hope we hope you'll join us. That does it for this spoiler special on episode five of Serial. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Thank you, guys. This was so fun. Thanks for indulging my serial discussing needs. And Katie, thank you. Thank you. Our producer is Joel Meyer. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. For Katie Waldman and Julia Turner, I'm David Hagland.